Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here for First Lady of Nutrition. I've got a wonderful guest lined up for you today. But before I introduce her, let me remind you to take a peek at annlouise.com. There's a wonderful new piece that I wrote about my mysterious neurological issues. It's all about dopamine. So visit annlouise.com. Look at our podcast. Look at our articles. Look at all the news you can use and let me know your thoughts. Now, today I have Jill Krista on board. She's an MD, ND, and she has written a book called The Light in the Dark. So, Dr. Jill, you have written a book called The Light in the Dark for pandas and pans. Pray tell, what is pandas or pans? Pandas and pans get lumped together because they're very similar in their presentation. Um, both are pediatric conditions, so they come on when um, a person is, is, you know, before not an adult, um, so all kids, and PANDAS is associated with a strep infection, where PANS is associated with any infection triggering the condition. And their titles, PANDAS is Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome Associated with Strep. And PANS is basically PANDAS without the strep, so Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsych Syndrome. Basically, what it is, is that there are, it's a state in the body where an infection was able to trigger neuropsychiatric and changes in the brain. So changes in the, the child's behavior because of a body problem that happened. Mm. But is this new? I've never heard of such a thing. It is not new. It's growing. Um, but it is something that it took a while to figure out exactly what the clinical criteria are, because we're still not really sure what the, the exact mechanisms of disease are. It seems to be autoimmune. Uh, and so rather than being able to call it, you know, whatever the mechanism is, <laughs> they had to kind of create a clinical criteria. And that took some time. And that's how we ended up with two different names, because pandas, there are lots of kids who had pandas who didn't have a strep infection or a known strep infection. So it, it's taking some time to define it. What are the symptoms? I mean, how do we know if a child, a grandchild, or some beloved child in the family actually is a victim of pandas or pans? Yeah, that's a great question. So commonly what we're going to be seeing is a pretty abrupt change in the child's behavior or sleep. Um, and we can see anything from what we're calling in medicine obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. However, that looks very different in a child. That could be that the child starts to line up their clothes and uh, take more showers, wash their hands more. Um, maybe they they you know might have a behavior that we classify in our society as a desirable behavior. <laughs> so it, it may not necessarily stand out to a parent, but typically there's going to be some 
pretty immediate change, which in pandas can happen overnight. In pans can have a slightly, you know, it can happen over a week. But again, that, that first time could have been sort of a subacute sort of thing, something where um, the symptoms came on, they came on immediately, but it was not something that really impaired the child's um, ability to go on with daily life. But in order to have either one of these diagnoses, they do need to be affected to the extent that their daily life is pretty impacted. Um, so we might see OCD, tics. We often will see some sort of attachment issue. And of all of the parents um, surveyed in a PANDAS network study, some kind of attachment or behavioral regression were the most common kinds of things that they found. Uh, the, the child might want to not leave a certain parent or a certain room, usually their own room. Um, we might see in an older child with PANS, behavioral regression that might look like a teenager who starts baby talking. In a younger child, it might just look like their handwriting has completely gone off the rails at the same time as they're having behavior changes. So, so are there any clinical tests that can make the diagnosis more secure? These are still clinical diagnoses, meaning that um, they the doctor can feel confident to continue or to take on treatment with a child simply based on if they meet the clinical criteria. And those clinical criteria are up on the PANDAS network website so people can see. There are some labs that help us answer the question of um, might this be a mechanism that has to do with autoimmune impacts against parts of the brain. Specific parts of the brain are the, the area of the brain that has to do with survival. And that's where we can see a lot of fears because that area of the brain is getting affected. We can see destruction of the dopamine receptors. So the child is basically swimming in too much dopamine, which can cause kind of more excitatory behaviors. It can cause, that's where we get the OCD and the tics, and it can increase fears in the child. So right now there aren't any labs that we can say, oh, well, this is, you know, definitely a PANDAS or a PANS um, diagnosis. We're looking at the, the clinical presentation to make that diagnosis. So you're a naturopathic doctor. What made you so interested in these phenomena? I am a mom of twins with PANS. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> That's the, the call to write the book. Um, but I also really wanted to get the message out. I have another book on mold, which I, I loved your podcast with the amazing uh, Evan Brand. Um, that mold is quite commonly a precursor exposure for the development of these conditions. How interesting. So there is an environmental trigger. Absolutely. And if anything, I'm trying to, part of why I felt called to write my book is not only to let people know what the natural medicines are that are available um, but also to let them know that it isn't ever just the infection. It's a precursor state of immune depletion. And there are four bad guys in my list that cause that or to kind of set the stage for it. Um, and that is Roundup or glyphosate exposure because that ruins the gut. Are we getting this just from food, do you think? Um, also from, I mean, people are spraying it in their yards all the time. We have, you know, fields 
and flyovers and <laughs> um, school yeah. and sports facilities. Um, so it is ubiquitous in our food, but it's also ubiquitous in our environment. And people are just, you know, you can buy it at the hardware store and come home and spray it all over your yard. And we've normalized it as, you know, having a yard that looks like carpet. Mm. Um, and that also almost has become a requirement to live in suburbia anymore. And we're not even really thinking about the impacts on our children, let alone bees and the rest of the environment. So glyphosate or Roundup is number one weed killer. That's like the, the biggest environmental impact on these kids. And then if you add mold, which is number two on my naughty list, mm -hmm. um, you've just really set the stage for the child to have a normal infection of childhood and um, it turn into an autoimmune disease like pandas or pans. So can ADD or ADHD be confused with this? It can be. Yeah, it can be. That's why they had to develop the clinical criteria. And that took some time to be able to really parse out, you know, what is this that's that's um, maybe innate in the child? And, you know, how is it different and how is it the same from an ADD, ADHD, autism spectrum, um, Sydenham's chorea, which is associated with a strep infection. Um, so the clinical criteria really nail it down that they have to have certain things as a confluence or as a total picture in order for it to be the diagnosis. So what do you cover in your book that every mother and grandmother should know? First of all, this is treatable. That's so important. This is treatable. So important. Yes, yes. And um, I am really all about empowering people to, to get familiar with the ancient you know, medicines that we have had available as a human species, which is what got us this far. Um, it's really important to me that people reacquaint themselves and remember how to use these miraculous gifts of the herbal world. So I've been, uh, I took great pains to put in there specific tools, uh, a whole process. I went through my process for treatment and I laid it out with the core four of treatment four, four things and categories. I put the steps, I put how you put it all together. I put doses, how to adjust the dose for your child by their weight. And I think one of the, the most useful things for people who, you know, for some families, this is the first time that conventional medicine doesn't have a lot of answers for them. So it might be the first time they're stepping out of the recognized system that they know and, and feeling a little bit insecure about what you can actually do or give with a kid and what's safe to do with this medication or that. So one of the best things I, I'm pretty proud of of the book is I created a medication compatibility chart, which anyone can get. You don't have to have the book. You can get it off my website for free at drkrista.com slash med dash compatibility. And it is a living document that I'm continuously updating based on new information that I get that will compare if your child is on any particular medication, you can compare it with the natural medicine tools in the book, such as vitamins or herbs, and you can see if those are safe to give together or if maybe you need to adjust the dosing of one or the other. So that's all available to parents or grandparents. And um, I'm I'm pretty proud of that, that it's a it's a very usable resource, the book itself and also the compatibility chart. When did the book come out? 
came out in November, 2022. Oh, so it's brand new. How wonderful. Brand new. Yep. Yeah. My old book has been out for, um, five years, six years, but the, uh, the pandas book is just baby. Yeah. Excellent. Do you talk about essential oils per chance? I talk about essential oils in my mold book because I find them extremely beneficial, extremely beneficial for mold, um, both in part of my mold protocol, which comes into the pandas pans world, um, is treating the nose because your nose can be the first experience or interface with mold, with mycotoxins and with infection. So if we have kids where an infection can flare their autoimmune disease, or a mold exposure can flare it, it's really important that we guard that nasal gate using things that we know are very effective against mold, mycotoxins, and infection, and that's essential oils. So I love to use essential oil inhalation sticks with kids. Um, in adults, we can spray essential oils right up in our nose, but in kids that can be a little too stingy and too much, and not all of them have their sinuses developed yet. So it's really lovely to use these inhalation sticks. Like uh, there's a brand called Olbas, O-L-B-A-S. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah, that's just so lovely. It smells good. And you're actually treating, you know, <laughs> we think it's just a thing that opens our airways. Well, the reason it's opening our airways is it's knocking down colonization in our sinuses. Somebody once told me that the sinuses are the pathway to the brain. Do you believe that? Absolutely. I have a few um, diagrams in my book that we created to show exactly how that's happening. We have a, we have a blood brain barrier, which means a, a barrier around our brain that's very selective. It only lets certain things up into the brain and blocks other things that could be harmful to the brain. And we have four areas in our brain where we don't have a barrier because we need different information for survival. And one of those areas is our sense of smell. So the nerve that is in the center of the brain that we use for smelling, the olfactory nerve, is one of those places where we don't have any blood-brain barrier. And what happens is the that nerve stretches from the brain all the way forward to our sinuses and then down through our nasal mucosal passages. And it sends bare little nerve fibers there so we can smell, because smell, you know, if you sm smelled fire, like a wildfire, you would know to kind of look out and maybe get to different ground. Um, so the sense of smell is really important for our survival and was one of our first senses to develop. So that one, the bare nerve fibers can actually pick up um, mycotoxins from mold. It can also pick up inflammatory molecules that happen when your nasal mucosa encounters infections such as strep. And those inflammatory molecules can ride that olfactory bulb back into the brain. And they've actually done studies with mice. There's a study out of Columbia that's a wonderful study where they exposed the mouse's nose to strep over and over again, like a kid might get when they're at school. And a normal brain doesn't have a problem with that. But a panda's brain, they find these inflammatory molecules and um, antibody deposition and changes inside the brain just from that repeated exposure. So we know that there is, it can act sort of like an elevator. And we see that with mycotoxins as well. Plenty of animal studies that show when they have a lot of exposure to a mycotoxin in the air, they accumulate that 
in the limbic center of the brain, which is the fear center of the brain. Mm, fascinating. Yeah. Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fat Blasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. How do you deal with diet? Is one diet the best diet for pandas and pans? Are we talking about an, a, an ancestral diet? Are we talking about a ketogenic, a paleo diet? What do you like? I think that one of the things I forgot to say as part of the symptom picture is some kids can have issues with eating with this condition because they the brain swelling that can happen at the brain stem can affect their breathe, their uh, swallowing mechanism, just like when we would see with a stroke patient where they have to almost relearn how to swallow. And so some kids have swallowing issues. Some of them have germophobia in their food. So we want to be really careful to not create any barrier for them to eat. And so my number one and only, while there would be perfect diets <laughs> to put a kid on. Uh, my, my one and only recommendation is organic food, pasture raised, you know, pasture raised beef. that's actually been, you know, out to pasture, not eating chemically sprayed hay. Um, same thing with chickens, able to run around cage-free pasture raised chickens, um, eggs and the meat. And, you know, in a perfect world, because mold is in the picture, quite commonly, and mold can lead to fungal overgrowth and candida overgrowth. In a perfect world, we would have them on sort of a keto paleo because we do see that those high good fat, high protein diets, low carbohydrate diets do better for people who have candida overgrowth. However, again, if we have a kid who's potentially starving to death, we need to be a little more flexible. I would so agree. yeah, just organic. <laughs> so what do you do for your kids? Take us through a typical day, Dr. Krista. Well, my kids are 23 now, so I haven't <laughs> got big kids. Yeah. So when they were younger, um, you know, we would do things that would manage the exposures. So uh, one of the things I talk about in my book in the guard the gates section. So my, my core four for treatment is tame the flame in the brain, beat the bugs, regulate immunity, and then guard the gates. So I would do that with my kids. We would start obviously with diet and lifestyle as much as possible. I was a czar for bedtime and you can ask my children to <laughs> say that. <laughs> um, because I think that's really important. Just get to bed on time. You know, that's what my grandma always told me and it's very sound advice. Um, and then we would get outside every day, that connection with nature you get the sunshine, you get the airflow. If you, it's a moldy house, they're getting out of the mold. Um, so the basic circadian rhythm, good, clean living, you know, drinking clean water, moving your body every day. And those are priorities that were things that we would non-negotiably do. And that is so important. I talk about this in one of the chapters of my book that structure 
and in everywhere you can get it is so important. These kids are living under constant adrenal burnout stress because their brain is affected and their brain is creating intrusive thoughts and, you know, scary behaviors and that kind of thing. They're living under constant stress. So our adrenals love structure. So the more structured a family can be, and I know a lot of parents that are grandparents that might be listening and think, oh, you don't know my kid, you know, <laughs> that's not going to work. Well, as much as you can do structure, oh, that's really I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Wholeheartedly yeah. agree with you. And it's, it's usually the families that are kind of fly by the seat of their pants that are the families that tend to have more of these problems. And so it just is this sort of self-perpetuating cycle. Um, so I would say, you know, for my kids, diet was extremely important. But so are all those other things that that I mentioned. So we focus on organic food. Um, we focus on trying to keep all the junk out of the diet and, you know, cooking at home as much as possible, growing our own food as much as possible, supporting our local farmers. Um, I'm very lucky that we have a my extended family has um, beef cattle. So we are sure that that's getting you know, we're getting pasture raised clean um, non-injected kinds of <laughs> animals and animal meat. And not everyone has that flexibility, but I hope that we will start, you know, I think that's one of the things that the pandemic really taught everybody was to pay attention to that food sourcing and supporting our local farmers. So true. How do vaccines figure into this whole picture? Yeah, they're, um, they're just in my book, kind of like a, um, an infection that they're going to be provoking an immune response. And when you have an immune dysregulation, that's not beneficial during a flare. So in the regulate immunity section in my book, we do everything we can to get the immunity strengthened again before we ask that immune system to do any challenge, including infection. Um, so I'm very, very careful and judicious with parents when it comes to vaccines. I believe in complete informed consent, which is quite difficult to do when we don't have control group based data on these vaccines. We don't have any information, um, but so it's it's very difficult to have a family, you know, when you're sitting there and saying, well, here are the risk factors of doing it or here are the risk factors of not we know some of the risk factors of not doing them and they have to be ready to see a sick kid. And we're always in this game of how do we protect the child from exposure to infection? Um, but if we know infection leading to immune provocation is hard on the kids during a flare and while we're trying to get them recovered from this condition, we have to be really, really careful adding other things that provoke the immune system. And what about antibiotics? They're very helpful if strep is the is the uh, kryptonite for that kid. Now, of course, I'm a fan of herbs because I'm a naturopathic doctor, but I'm also integratively trained. And I think that naturopathic doctors are one of the best for how to combine things. So if we have started with herbal treatment and, or maybe in some kids that things are so critical, like they may be facing having to get hospitalized at a, at a mental institution or something like that, that's a kid that's going to need some quick rescue. Um, but if we, in most cases that are walking into a clinic, um, we can start with the herbals and they're very effective and they're broad spectrum and they have multiple mechanisms of action, which are lovely. 
I have a list in my book called the botanical avatars, meaning the ideals, because they not only address the infection, they also address immunity. They're also looking at brain chemistry and, and balancing brain chemistry. So if we've started with some of those and we're really cooking along with a good dose where we're thinking, well, that's a high dose that should be protecting the child and they're still having flares, that might be a child who needs antibiotics. And we are, once it gets triggered, no matter what the triggering infection was, strep becomes kryptonite for all of the kids, whether it started with Lyme disease or you know flu. Flu can be a very common trigger for PANS. Because they're dealing with low immune system, they're gonna be the kid that needs a little extra help than a normal kid. And then we work to build that immunity so you don't need that kind of protection. But as you're talking and where I'm thinking and pondering, it's not just kids that are affected. Don't you think adults have been affected as well with pandas and pans? Yes, I think that there are plenty of adults running around. I, I hope that we will have a andas and ands without the P um, because they they do onset in childhood or teenhood, but there are plenty of adults that got that you know, maybe from having mono as a teen or flu as a preteen that never got the neuroinflammation taken care of. And they've kind of um, matured um, around the symptoms, but are still really struggling on the inside. I think there's a lot of that. So what can this lead to if not treated for adults, teenagers or adults? Yeah, OCD, um, and again, you know, working around the ticks, working around discomfort with um, anything that is going to provoke the fears. So a lot of them have fears around certain things like leaving home or being around large groups of people because they know their defenses are down. So a lot of the fears can be very informative to us about what's going on with the physiology so we can address it. Um, and then we can see sometimes extreme behavior because of the high dopamine, risk-seeking behavior, that kind of thing. And um, we also see, because it's immune deficiency, a high risk of developing other autoimmune diseases from infection, such as Hashimoto's thyroiditis mm. or celiac disease or some of those things. Which are also epidemic. Yeah, right. Yeah. So your interest really was sparked with your own children? Well, I mean, I was in the trenches trying to figure out what was going on. <laughs> I actually started um, with a, a interest in environmental medicine when I was in school. And uh, where, where did you go to school, Dr. Krista? In Portland, Oregon. At that time, it was National College of Natural Medicine. And now it's National University of okay. Natural Medicine. It's yeah. A wonderful school, wonderful school. Yeah, I feel very, very blessed for my education, especially being gifted children who needed that extra help. It was really, I, I don't think I have a day where I don't thank God for my education. It's been, it's been incredible. I use it every day, personally and with patients. Truly integrative. Yeah, truly. So what's next on the on this chalkboard for you? You wrote a book about mold, now pandas and pans. What's next? Yeah, uh, I don't know yet. I I also have um, a lot of training in energy medicine. So I would love to find a way to blend 
but I've been doing it my whole clinical practice. Um, but blending the energetics behind this, this is kind of some of the stuff that Dr. Joe Dispenza is, is teaching about um, how to use the placebo effect for our benefit. Um, things where we're using, we can tap into such a deeper healing power in our bodies. We are, we are so powerful. Um, and so I, I'd like to find a way to blend that in, in a way that's clinically relevant and that other, you know, the, my books were the same thing. I wanted everyday average people to understand what was going on and to have the tools that they can themselves take and go with. And then you use a doctor if those things didn't work, you know, so my books are kind of for the average Joe. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to do that in the bringing in a, a deeper and powerful modality that we're not yet really engaging in medicine. How can people get in touch with you directly? They can find me at drkrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A.com. And do you work, do you work long distance with telemedicine? Right now, I, I have stopped taking new patients. I am um, committed now to teaching doctors how to treat the things that I'm specialized in. Excellent. Yeah. So if someone's looking for a mole literate doctor, they can go to my website. I've trained over 600 doctors now in how to manage mold. Um, and so there's a list on there. There's a map, you can, a mold finder kind of map um, to find a doctor. And um, for pandas and pans, I have links for that as well on my website. So you can find someone who's skilled in this and don't monkey around. You know, if you, if you are listening, you're thinking, oh my goodness, my child or my grandchild has this, definitely just find a doctor that does this. There's been very limited training available, but it's getting better and better. And we're getting more and more of us out here. Um, and it can do harm to your child or your grandchild not if true. the doctor doesn't understand it. I can see that. Yeah. Well, you've got a wonderful website with all kinds of resources. Will you come back when you have new findings? Yes, I would love to. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's really been an honor. My delight. Thank you so much. And I want to thank all my listeners for listening yet once again to First Lady of Nutrition. Get rid of those pans and pandas, please. Have a beautiful week full of health, happiness, and shalom, uvracha. And please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.